Welcome to Startup Start Now podcast with your host, Sharina Shiv, a podcast aimed to showcase real and relatable entrepreneurs, side hustlers, and their mentors, all living in the UK. Welcome to episode seven, everybody. This has been a really exciting week. I have been able to announce that I'm off to Cambridge University as of next month to study a master's in entrepreneurship. So I will be taking um, not only my own learnings and my journey, but also the stuff that I'm learning in the classroom and delivering it here online on Startup Start Now. So this week's episode is all about your passions and turning them into paychecks. And my exciting guest is Bhavan Danjal, uh, also known as Bhavan Henna. So Henna is also what we refer to as Mendi. It is a dye which comes from a plant extract and is used for temporary body art. So Bhavan's been able to take something kind of very cultural for the Asian society and she's been able to bring that to the Western world and become the fastest henna artist in the world and she's won uh, the Guinness World Records not just once but twice. She's also opened a henna bar on Oxford Street Selfridges where she's based at the moment and was also awarded the British Empire Medal for her services in beauty. She spends her time now um, also working with a long list of incredible people. She has collaborated with Rudimental, Ellie Golding, Perry Edwards from Little Mix, Alicia Dixon, and she also has outlets in Dubai, New York, Milan, Paris, which is just incredible. Today's episode very much looks at how Bhavan got into Henna, um, also how she was awarded the Guinness World Record title and what that means and has played in her business to date. Um, She also takes us through how she got those kind of opportunities and the collaborations and also, you know, taking her brand and actually getting that into a department store so there's some really interesting little again I love the word (laughs) knowledge gems along the way that you can pick up I hope you enjoy the episode if you do as always please share it with your friends your families and if you enjoy it leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts So welcome to Startup Start Now, Pavin. How are you doing today? I'm really well, thank you. How are you? Not too bad. I've been looking forward to talking to you all day. (laughs) On Startup Start Now, we always like to sort of take uh, everyone through the journey. So I just wanted to start off with, um, where did you grow up? I grew up in East London, Ilford, Good Maze. Good Maze was such a lovely area. I had a wonderful upbringing. Um, You know, I the best parents best schooling um my parents they had just started out their new businesses when I was three and my brother was just born so I have three older sisters and they saw the time where mum and dad were really uh I wouldn't say struggling but they were building so they saw the hard times and they saw you know the times where mum and dad really really grafted to build what they wanted and the empire that they now have um and it was me and my brother who got to do the extracurricular activities, you know, the violin lessons, the orchestra classes, the karate lessons and, you know, all sorts of those, mm. those kind of things. So um, uh, because, you know, there's a five year gap between me and my sister. Uh, I've got three older sisters. 
So it's five years six gap, six years gap, seven years gap. So they saw, saw a totally different upbringing to what me and my brother did. Mm. Um, but yeah, I'd, uh, I have really fond memories of growing up in Ilford. Perfect. And was there any kind of key subjects or lessons that you enjoyed or any extracurricular? Uh, I was always artistic. I was always into the arts. I was always into, you know, I played the violin. I played the recorder. I played uh, the piano. I played, um, yeah, I was always interested in that. My dad wanted me to be the next Vanessa May, <laughs> but <laughs> that just did not happen. Um, and then it was, you know, art was a thing for me in high school. Um, but then we did a really weird, well, what I found weird art artist called Salvador Dali. He's quite abstract. Didn't him. find his stuff pretty. Yeah, didn't really find his stuff pretty. So I didn't really do well in art. It, it was it, it was like basically me knowing exactly what I wanted um, from quite a young age. Good. And then talk to me a little bit about your uni life. So where did you go and what did you study? I hated uni. I, it was not for me. I didn't want to go. Um, I didn't really make my friends because everything was in Ilford for me my my sisters mm. were my friends my best friends you know my family my family and I are very close um so it was I used to think why am I going all the way there to you know people would build this you know picture up of uni life is great you get to go out you get to meet friends you'll really live your life but my mum and dad had always raised us to do whatever we want we yeah. never hid anything from mum and dad if I wanted a glass of wine, I'd had a, have a glass of wine with my dad. A big tall sadarji, you know, would sit and he'd have, you know, on a Saturday night, Jalo, shall we have a glass of wine tonight? Yeah. Mum and dad would always raise, raise us saying, whatever you want to do, do in front of us. We don't want to hear it from outside. So I didn't feel the need of that whole moving out, the whole living life. I did it already with my parents and my older sisters. I'd go on holidays and that kind of thing. So for me, going to uni was going away from the fun and the mm. relationships that I already had. So I didn't feel the need to do that. Um, you know, I was living that life at home with getting my clothes washed, dinner on the table. So I didn't need to experience uni life of doing it all myself. Whereas um, when you go to uni, and I certainly saw that, and then you've just got these bunch of kids that are just running wild and experiencing their first nights out and you're going, hang on a sec. like Exactly. I do this at home. Yeah, and mum and dad, like I said, you know, we're very, very um mum and dad are quite well known and you know we, we've had I'll always say that we had a wonderful upbringing we never were restricted mum and dad are our friends or were you know are our friends rather than parents so obviously within reason um but yeah we never had any reason to be away from them or yeah you know go away and all of that kind of stuff so so yeah I didn't like uni much um my dad said I want to see you in your cap and gown so that's why I completed it didn't take that student loan dad paid for everything the book the use everything just you know for my Where, graduation what did you study? I, already, I did a marketing degree um uh marketing uh uh what are they called ba honors degree the yep. same you know three years and um you know dad all dad wanted was to see me in my cap and gown and he got that but for me i felt like whilst i was going through it it was like oh god it's a waste of time i don't need to do this i could be starting my career right now i know exactly what i want to do because i wanted to do the henna then at that point mm. anyway um but in hindsight uni did teach me you know a few bits and bobs that i do implement today um but i don't think it's a necessity i don't think uni is something that everybody needs to do i think if you already know what you're doing there's so many life lessons 
that will teach you far more than a three-year university degree will. Again, that's what sort of Startup Start Now is here to do, just kind of take people through that journey. And and you're definitely not the first person to have said that. Um, So talk Mm. to me a little bit about when you, you know, got into Henna Heart. And I guess, what is the history of Henna for those listening? So Henna originates, uh, you know, from centuries ago. People in the Middle Eastern countries used to use the plant, mix it up and use it as a coolant on the skin. So they used to rub it on the palms of their hands and the bottom of their feet to keep them cool in the hot weather. Um, And then over the years, gradually it turned decorative. And then for what we know it as, uh, you know, is for weddings, Diwali, Garajot, Eid, those kind of things, Mm. which are, you know, festivals that are for the Asian culture. However, what we want to do and what we're trying to do, being British and born over here, um, you know, we I know how important is henna is to our culture, but then I'm thinking, well, it's so beautiful, it's so lovely, it's so creative and so expressive. Why I don't want to put a cultural specification on it. I'd mm. like it for everyone to enjoy it, um, and for everyone to be, you know, be very inclusive and and just enjoy some uh, another form of beauty uh, that everyone can can have fun with. Absolutely. So, how did you get into it? So I was at a wedding and I didn't like the way the artist was doing Mendy. um so I literally picked up the cone and I started doing the henna and you know the people there were saying oh gosh you should do this we should have paid you rather than the artist you're better or you know those kind of things and then so I went for a henna course a couple of weeks later um and I remember saying to my aunt on the escalators we were in Piccadilly Circus and I said I'm going to be the best at henna and she was like oh okay all right you know when you just say stuff like that when you're when you're young I was only 15 or 16 at that point I think um I'm 35 now so that's how that gives you an indication of how long I've been doing it um and then it was then I just pursued you know the courses I started doing henna for brides and you know festivals and in the school common room in the in in college uh, if that's what they're still called nowadays the common room and then (laughs) um okay good and then um yeah then I just started taking it a little bit more seriously and then once I started to do brides um I just started taking it a bit more seriously from that point and how long did it take you from practicing getting the training to then you know getting your first client I think I got that's a good question um I think within about six months I did my first bride and oh my god I was now when I look back at it I was so over promising and over (laughs) I can do this and I can do that and blah 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 blah. and now when I look at the work it was awful but she loved it it was good at that point um but it just got me in the mood of doing it it gave me a taste of earning my own money and good money you know it wasn't just I mean I did retail I I was doing retail from the age of 15 onwards um and every job that I had I mean this might be a question you ask me later or whilst doing the henna so doing the henna seriously was when I was about 18 or 19 doing brides and so forth um, I remember my first photo shoot was when I was 17. Wow. There's a white photo shoot that I did as a stocking. And I was only 17 then when I did that. And it was so overwhelming. But everything that I've done now, looking in hindsight, has helped in my uh, business one way, shape or form. You know, So I worked in retail. So now I understand retail. I worked an admin job for the local government. So I understand the, the importance of doing your own admin and you know the written work and the background work behind every business. Um, and then obviously my degree that taught me a lot and then so it's like every single thing that I've done has taught me or has had some 
kind of uh, reference or, you know, relevance to what I'm doing right now. So would you say that uh, the Hannah Art started off as, well, by the sounds of it, like a side hustle? and a- Oh, yeah, like a hobby. I had no idea it was going to turn into what it is now. No idea. I thought when I started, I would be doing brides forever. And, oh, I'm going to do glitter and brides, and I'm going to be the best bridal henna artist in the world. And um, I'm going to travel all over the world, and it's just brides. But then when I started doing brides, and one of them told me how fast I was, um, I I was told, you know, you should go for the Guinness World Record, which was a thing. It was such a big thing like, mm, years ago. It still is a thing. Um, <laughs> it, it still is a thing. Um, you know, I'll oh, be the world's fastest tenor artist. So, you know, I told my dad, I said, Dad, do you think I should go for the Guinness World Record? And he was like, Yes, you must do it. What do you need from me? My dad was always oh, so encouraging. He so oh, he was. He, he was just an amazing man. Um, so he goes, What do you need from me? Blah, blah, blah. And I said, Nothing. I'll just apply to them and, and you know, we'll go for it from there. Because obviously, doing a marketing degree, I knew how important a unique selling point was. So there are hundreds of tenor artists there. What would make me stand out? Um, already my speed stood out, but I needed something official that I could give to someone that could make me get recognized, if you like. And then it was from there, once I got the Guinness World Record, I approached EastEnders and uh, kept calling and calling and calling. And then they, one day they accidentally put me through to the makeup department. Wow. Um, and then I told them, because that was when they had the Masood family on TV, on mm. the on, the, on EastEnders. And I said, look, there's an Asian family on there. I know there's going to be a wedding. Like, Asian family like weddings and everything and I said as soon as there is you're going to need me I'm very fast I've got the world record blah 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 blah. told myself she goes all right then thank you and I didn't hear anything and then six weeks later I got the phone call went in for an interview and they gave me a job so I was on set of EastEnders for two weeks and then on the second wedding you know with Tamwar and the other I forget the other girl's name um I did their wedding as well. So it was like a long-term relationship. And then it was there. Uh, tell me if I'm rambling. It's, no, it's, no, I love it. I'm or, like fully yeah. getting into it. <laughs> One story leads on to the other. Because you know when yeah. everyone thinks overnight success, there's no such thing. It's one step, it's a stepping stone. Everything that we've done has given us the next opportunity, given us the next opportunity, given us the next opportunity. So it was from EastEnders that, you know, I did Alicia Dixon, I did the Sugar Babes at the time and, and all of those kind of things. And everybody would say to me, gosh, we love henna, but we just don't know where to get it done from. Obviously, you and I know where to get it done from. Our aunt will know. Our cousin well, actually, I'm in Devon. There is no one doing henna down here. <laughs> oh, well, OK. Well, then that, well, there you go. So well, you know, they, <laughs> We're on it. We're, we're on the case. Um, but yeah, cu- culturally, we know who does henna, but yeah uh, the western clientele or the peak tourists and stuff like that they don't so i had the idea of a henna bar um and even saying henna bar felt so foreign i was like well let catch on and now the way we've coined that literally like you know it, it, it didn't exist before we created it and um we i asked you know to get into suffrages they kept saying no um and then in between i was like i've got to do something so in between we approached top shop they gave us an opportunity there was a really lovely girl called Kay. She gave me an opportunity. I had a trolley, no product, never hired staff before in my whole life because I just realized I can't work 12 hours a day, seven days a week. I can't do it myself. I'm going to need a team. Started there, had no product, just a trolley. And we did really well. They gave us a six week pop up, did tremendously well, went with those figures to Selfridges and said, look, it bloody worked. Give us the opportunity. And then they gave us a six week pop up. Um, It went well. And five years later, here we are. 
So I guess there's a few things from what you've been telling me that I want to unpick. So the first one was you kept calling EastEnders and, you know, you eventually got through to the makeup artist. But how many phone calls to get that Oh, bloody hell. (laughs) Um, Loads. Like I called, I think, oh, I must have called eight to ten times. Wow. Yeah, like... (sighs) Like, for example, a lot of people don't like rejection. We, not a lot of people. We all don't like rejection. Exactly. But I got used to it. I got used to it. A lot of people would say no to me. I'd go to them with henna and they were like, why, why are we going to use henna? It's for example, you know, my husband, he's quite well-known magic, you know. And, and I when follow he, him too. <laughs> yeah. So when he, when he approaches someone, he'll want them to say yes. Because that's the kind of nature he is. And if, if they say no, he'll be like, mm forget it I'm, I'm not going to approach again whereas me I'm like no I'm going to get my answer I'm quite stubborn and I'm like I, I will make sure that because I have to educate them on what I'm what I feel like I have to educate them on what I'm doing every amazing golden opportunity that I've had I've had to make it and create it myself because yeah. no one's going to especially with what henna is no one was going to come and say why don't you do henna on that why don't you do henna on this they weren't going to do it because it was wasn't heard of so the, I did a window display for Harrods I approached them and then they gave me a window display for Chopard. Had I not given them the idea, why would they have ever even thought of henna? I did henna on a Formula One car for Force India for the British Grand Prix. I gave them that idea because why would they think of henna? So if you're thinking of something new and a new idea, you have to sell it because why would they think of it? You know what I mean? Exactly. So it's um, it was that kind of approach that I had to keep using. Selfridges, EastEnders. All of those kind of things, you know, I, I, I made it happen ourselves. We did it Definitely. ourselves. And then with the Guinness World Record, you know, who, what is it? Just a case of kind of picking up the phone and saying, look, I've, what what did you win? What was the record initially? And then how did you beat it? What was? I wish it was that easy. No, you have to find <laughs> out. You've got to get in touch with the adjudicators. You've got to get, you know, a lot of paperwork ready for them. You've got to organise an event. You've got to really practice at the same time you've got all of these people waiting expecting you to break a world record if you don't do it it's a waste of bloody time um so it was a lot of pressure I was running on adrenaline and I've done it twice so the first year I did it was in 2000 and oh, I can't remember 2009 or 2000 and, yeah and I did 214 henna armbands in one hour and the record was no I did 314 the record the record was 214 so I broke it by 100 and then the second time I did it was someone broke it and they held it for three months so they did it for 300 they did 380 henna armbands and then I did 511. Wow Wow. yeah I still I still hold the record to date and it's it's a question people ask me you know would you break it again and I don't I don't know if I would anymore but um I still hold the record and it's, it's a wonderful wonderful accolade to have. Absolutely. And then you talked a bit about um, how you got yourself into the department store and the fact that you, you know, to get into Selfridges, you have to go kind of via the Topshop route um, as well. But what was your what was your understanding of High Street? Did you say you worked on in retail originally? So originally I worked in the perfume shop. I worked in a a retail bridal store called Blushing Bride in Ilford years ago. I don't know if anyone remembers that, whoever's listening. Um, I worked in River Island as a Christmas temp. I worked in a clothes shop called Crisp. I worked in, I think that, oh, I worked in, oh my God, remember Jane Norman? I worked yes. there. And, and funnily enough, 
in Selfridges, when I started doing henna, there was a um, tattoo shop called Metamorphosis, and they were based in Selfridges. They're based in Topshop now, actually. And I went up to them and I said, look, do you do henna? And they said, no, we don't. And I said, look, why don't you offer henna for four hours a week on a Saturday? I'm free. I do henna and, I, you know, it'd be great to do it. They gave me the job. So I worked from 12 to 4 in Selfridges, in Metamorphosis, doing henna for three years, I think it was, every summer, three summers. And I said it then. I said, I'm going to have a henna bar one day here in Selfridges. And that was when I was 16. So and when I got did my you... henna bar there. When did you get the henna bar? 27. 27. Incredible. So it was then. So it, it was kind of imprinted in me. Like I knew, God, I'm doing henna. I was already doing henna in Selfridges at the age of 16. And then to have our own concession 10 years later was just. And how many people do you employ now then? So we have a team of six at the henna bar and we're looking to expand. Obviously, you know, we, we were due to expand in different stores. But obviously because of COVID, it's been postponed. But I mean, that's still on the way. Um, and we've got an amazing henna range out now. So, so many new, wonderful things we're working on. And then in terms of kind of uh, lockdown, how, how has that impacted your business operationally, this pandemic? So in December, before COVID, we were already working on our product line. So everything happened quite timely for us. Um, you know, we had loads of product ready. We had loads of people already understanding how our products worked and how to use them and that kind of thing so whilst covid was happening we you know we're selling a lot of products online where we were more service oriented where now what we did for service is making the service accessible for everyone now what we're doing is making the product accessible for everyone so you know you can go to us you always get your nails done professionally but it's, you'll always be able to pick up a nail polish and take it home and be able to do it yourself. Do you know what I mean? You'll always get your makeup done professionally, but you'll want that mascara that you have at home. And that's the same kind of thing that we want. You know, you want to go in and pick up a henna cone just like you can, a nail polish or a mascara. Know that it's reliable, ethically sourced, ethically made, that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, the timing's been fantastic for us product wise. Mm-hmm. And I know you've you've done a book as well. Um but more importantly, you're now obviously a global brand and you've collaborated with such a long list of people. So you've got Bobby Brown, Huda Beauty, BBC, you've got Elle, Glamour, Vogue, <laughs> the list is actually endless. Um, how, again, I, I know you obviously tapped into a bit of that, but how have you continued to just kind of up, upping your game with who you're working with? Um, I think working alongside all of these amazing brands in Selfridges and in the department stores that we're in, you know, we launched in Harvey Nichols, we were in Milan, we were in Barney's New York, um, Dubai, of course. And I think if we hadn't worked alongside all of these brands, we wouldn't realise that we are actually on par with them. We're as good as, you know. So it's it's seeing your brand, um, like, look who we're amongst, like our concession is right next to nails inc and next door to us is blink and face gym and it's like wow so we are on par with these amazing brands so we should be able to expect the same things you know what i mean so i've never ever been shy of approaching people i remember when i was 16 i had no idea about henna and i wrote a letter to liz hurley do you remember when she got married to erin naya and i wrote a letter to her to ask her to do her henna i also sent a letter to the queen and i got a reply from the queen saying yeah to do henna henna for um I 
think it was Camilla. They did a they did a, a trip to Morocco or something like that. So for me, I've never been uh, too fussed about approaching people in you know in the limelight or with that name because I know I can deliver. I know what I can deliver. Um, so I think working with all of these big name big names, I don't find it intimidating. I just see them as another person, and me being able to offer something on a on a certain level that I can I can do at my best really. And then how much do you think the power of social media? So obviously that's where I found you probably like 10 years ago on Facebook back in the day. And then I thought of adding you on LinkedIn and I followed your journey on there. But how much has social media and LinkedIn played a part in your career? Amazing. Um, We are where we are because of social media. Um, I mean, it's paid, I'd say about at least, 50 or 60 percent of where we are you know we rely on football a certain amount but then word of mouth today's word of mouth is social media people tagging you talking about you what they say about you means everything so I think um I started on Instagram when I was in Topshop and luckily only because of my husband he got he got me on Instagram again you know it's it was from them that we built built up uh organically a nice following it's changed a lot now and it's a job within itself and it's something that I don't take care of myself now uh, we have a social media team that takes care of everything because I just can't keep up there's so many things and I Hashtag feel like I'm in and follow backs and bloody and the and growth is just is the growth is not what it used to be not on Instagram anyway there is an organic growth on TikTok but um I wouldn't say on Instagram at the moment um it's about shout outs and it's about collaborations and stuff like that but I think you know we're holding our own in our own way so yeah it's going well talk to me about tiktok because obviously the craze has really picked up now during the pandemic but you've been on that for a lot longer than this ride <laughs> we were me and, when i say we me and my husband we were on tiktok before it was even tiktok it was called musically it was an app and i actually got on it before him he tells everyone that he was on it before me but he wasn't so we have this debate we have this little we have this little debate with each other but I got on it and I didn't really pay attention to it. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's okay. I'll do some time lapses and do some henna on it. And I didn't really pay attention to it. He took it seriously and he skyrocketed. And he got up to, you know, when music we changed to TikTok, he got up to 1.9 million followers. Which wow. Is um, and it's because he took it seriously and his following just went amazing. And, you know, he does all these brand endorsements and he's, it's really served him well. So... I was like, I've got to take this seriously now and I've got to do it. And so since the beginning of the year, I've been taking TikTok a lot more seriously and we've got up to 230,000 followers. So which is, you know, a far, far better than our 27,000 followers on Instagram. So, and it is, it is where everyone is and it's fun. And it's, you know, the images don't have to be perfect. The videos don't have to be perfect. You don't have to spend that time editing. You don't have to spend that time, you know, creating this look. It, it's so much more real it's so much more genuine the algorithms are far better it's an organic growth so yeah we're loving tiktok at the moment do you recommend that people spend time on kind of as many different apps as possible to diversify yeah i think so yeah definitely it definitely plays a part and and everything's going to change so today so okay 10 years ago it was facebook then it was instagram now it's tiktok there's going to be something else it's really important to stick with this trend and just pay attention to what is out what is podcast next podcast podcasts are massive right now and I'm I'm so you know because I love to talk and I love to share our journey and stuff like that and it's just not something that I was 
you know, into. But now I realize I thought podcasts are amazing. You know, that's something that people have got on the band, like I say bandwagon, but people are joining on now. YouTube, I wish I'd paid attention to that long ago. You know, I would have been able to monetize on that. But there's so many platforms and I think it's, um, you shouldn't judge or, or have assumptions as to how well one's going to do. I think you should just work them all and see how you benefit from each of them. Congratulations on your British Empire Award. Um, what, what was that for and for people that don't know what it is? So our services were recognised by the Queen um, for services to beauty. Um, so it's all the work that we've done with Henna, in and around Henna for the community, bringing it to the high street, bringing it to mainstream. Um, and it was just, it was amazing. So we got a letter from the Prime Minister saying that we'd been, you know, nominated. And, and I remember my dad read the letter. And he goes, do you know the Prime Minister sent you a letter? And I thought I was in trouble. And then he read it out to me and I was like, oh my God, Dad, that's amazing. So it was, it, it, it's brilliant. It's so, it's so heartwarming. It's so nice to hear that, you know, our services are being recognised. You really feel like you're getting in the right direction. And more so, it makes me happy because, you know, our parents came here with nothing. And it's about working and doing what we love but then also showing our parents that, you know, look who are being recognised by, look what we're doing. It's, you know, they can be proud of it and and we can kind of show that, you know, they've worked so hard. I believe that their generation have worked far harder than what we have. Um, and it's just showing that their hard work and their efforts are not in vain, that we, you know, we're doing our best as a culture and as a generation to, to honour what they've an done. Ambassador. Mm. Exactly. And to just honour what they've done and, and show them that, you know, we're... We'll, we'll, we'll keep up what they've been what they've created here for us basically because I think a lot of the generation now me maybe being a little bit negative but a lot of the generation now sometimes it, we you know we don't appreciate as you get older I sound like an old lady now you don't we don't appreciate what our parents actually did yeah. you know I couldn't leave my family behind and start up somewhere new in a new country I just couldn't do it and that's what they did so yeah I couldn't agree more with that um, and just last few questions before we get onto the quick fire round. Um, so as you've, you know, got more successful and higher in your career and as a female, um, who have you kept around you to support you on that journey? I know you mentioned your husband a lot and your family. Is there any other call yeah. out mentors that you've had? Uh, a lot of women in the beauty industry who have created such great brands, um, Blink, Brow, Brow, Vanita. She's, she's wonderful. I've got a, a really good partner, one of our buyers, with. She's wonderful. I'm always surrounded by women, successful women. You know, my mum falls into that category. My nanny was really strong. My sisters always hold me up. My husband, even though he's a man, he's very much like, you can do this and you can do that. Brought me out of my shell. My dad was always like that. You know, he didn't raise us daughters as daughters. He raised us as sons, taught us to be independent, make your own money, make your own standing. Uh, it wasn't always about money. It was, it was just about making your own standing, you know, and have that high confidence confidence that's what it is um so I have a very small circle I don't even have very many friends I'll be honest with you I have very close people around me but then when they're close to me I consider them as family so um but yeah it's just it is a lot of it is about who you surround yourself with um because you know there's good days bad days and you we just you know it's about uplifting each other and doing things that you love really and what advice uh, would you give to those that are starting out? There's definitely been quite a few call outs during the conversation, but is there any kind of main ones? Uh, what advice? Uh, there, are, there will be a lot of naysayers. Even if you have an idea, there'll be people who say, oh, are you sure? 
They'll try and make you doubt what your idea is. Um, ignore them. Just get on with what you want to do. If you have a real passion for it and you really think that there's an opportunity, you should just go for it. Um, and also, me and my husband were talking the other day. Sorry, I'm talking about him again. It's about writing. A, we were talking about writing a letter to our younger self, and that's what I've done mm. before. And what I what I will say is, forget worrying because there was a lot of worry. What is what we're going to do? What what about the future? How's my future going to turn out? I, you know, there's a lot of this status, keeping up status quo, looking good on Instagram, meeting certain criteria. That kind of God, just forget about it. Focus on yourself. Focus yeah. on what you love doing and you will create something so beautiful. So that's my advice is like, just don't look around, just take care of yourself and just uh, do what you love, really. Oh, that's really good advice. Um, so on to the quick fire round. I just want one worded answers from you. Um, okay. And so where was your last holiday? Santorini. Oh, um, and what's your biggest addiction? Business. I love business. <laughs> I thought really you were going to say Louis Vuittons. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love, I love, uh, I love, work, I love working. I love business. It just once I have one achievement, I'm like, oh, I'm buzzing for the next one. I think that's pretty evident from the conversation. Um, what <laughs> is? Have you done anything spontaneous lately? Uh, no. I need to do more of that. <laughs> Um, what's your greatest achievement to date? My There's greatest so achievement to date, oh, business-wise, I don't know. There's, I can't put my finger on one, like I said, because each has led me onto something different. I think my greatest achievement is to be consistent and to stay on it, because there's been so many times that I want to give up, and that will happen when you start your own business. Sorry, I know you wanted one-worded answers, no, but brilliant. consistency is key. Because you're going to be told there's going to be crap days, there's going to be good days. Um, but the best thing I did was stick stick with it, I think. Um, what is the your favourite Netflix show? I love that Indian matchmaker thing. <laughs> did you watch it? Yes. My mum hated it. See, mum, I I loved it, yeah. But I think it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword because I think um, one angle it shows you how backward people still are what they focus on or she's fair or she's lovely blah 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 focuses but it shows us what we shouldn't be doing but then also in a good way it does show you know at the beginning you know the openings of each episode and they showed the, the arranged marriages that have lasted and yeah so, you know that are still together and how they speak so it did work it was a generation that it did work for and it's not arranged marriage it's an introduction you know so exactly. I think it's good. There's good and bad to it. Was yours it was, a, a love marriage or was it an arranged Mine was a love marriage. It was so funny because I remember sitting and talking because dad knew magic anyway. And mum, mum and dad knew him. And uh, I remember I just said to dad, when I started dating, I said to dad, dad, so um, me and magic are together now. And he said, uh, okay, that's good. That was it. Oh, that's so sweet. He's had such an easy ride. <laughs> <laughs> I could actually spend a whole podcast talking to you about Indian matchmaker. That's how obsessed oh, I am with it. <laughs> it was, it's, like I said, it's such a good show because it really highlights the good and the bad and it gives room for discussion. And I think that's really important to have. I watched it by myself and then I made, sat and watched it again with the family just to kind of see their interpretation of it. What and was their reaction? 
it's funny like everyone had a different bias so you know things that they which I, perhaps I've heard them say in the past they were then finding it a problem on the show and I was thinking hmm like it made for a, uh, just a really good conversation and um it was because quite... isn't it isn't it sorry to interrupt isn't it funny because what we have what we have held in our minds but then when we hear someone else say it then it's like oh okay that doesn't sound very good exactly not, and yeah often art just annoyed me um yeah. and then a few weeks later she made a really good point when she was interviewed by bbc asian network she said hang on a second i went through like six guys and said no but the other guy from india he went through 150 and said no but why have i got a problem and i thought ah oh, you actually yeah. make a really valid point that's the smartest that's thing true. she said <laughs> yeah that is so true so true women and men will always be viewed differently I just it's just something I guess we just have to put up with exactly I mean okay my next uh quick fire round question is what's the favorite celebrity you've worked with ah oh, favorite celebrity I've worked with Eddie Golding was amazing um Perry Perry Edwards she's a friend now she's lovely wow. from Little Mix um uh, I think celebrities as well but I also think um collaborations like I loved doing the Harrods window display uh I loved I love being in store in 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 uh you know Selfridges and that kind of thing so I think there's so many things that I'm so grateful for um yeah that have put us on the map amazing and what's the last book you've read ah well the last book the book that I'm on now is called the 10x rule um the book I read before that is called Miracle Mornings because I'm not a morning person um yeah so I've got a list of of books that I try and read and get through amazing that's that's all of them and my last question I like to ask all my guests is what's one thing you want to be remembered for uh to uh, being a game changer I want to be the one that has made henna the one that the brand that made henna available to everybody uh so yeah and that's how I want to be remembered Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. There's just been so many amazing key takeaways in terms of how, you know, the real kind of it all started from home and the fact that your dad's pushed you into, you know, knowing and supported you and your siblings on on all of your journeys, which is is kind of been, I guess, the foundation stone and then your own sort of self-confidence and talent. And mm. even though you went to uni, how you have been able to kind of incorporate that in your business, but you haven't allowed your subject to define and take over your passion. I think yeah. I think has been really key. Um, and again, you're just breaking so many glass ceilings. So it's it's incredible to to have a conversation with you. I've definitely yeah got hairs on my neck. Oh, <laughs> um, I'm glad. And I hope one day I'm just putting it out on the podcast now. I would love you to be my henna artist for my wedding. <laughs> Consider it done. You've got to call me, and that's it. I'll be there. Sorted. I've got a Devon henna artist. <laughs> <laughs> exactly see we sorted that problem out easy amazing have a lovely day and i'll speak to you soon thank you bye thank you for listening to today's episode i hope you enjoyed it i certainly did um not to mention bagging myself a henna artist for whenever that special day comes along no uh, jokes aside it was a really really interesting interview because i thought what really stood out to me was the importance of 
how much emphasis Bovin put on finding her unique selling point really early on. Um, and the fact that she obviously applied to the Guinness World Records. Um, and then obviously from that, her kind of main tagline was world's fastest henna artist. The title of this this podcast is probably the reason some of you guys have even tuned in today because the interest in it. So my challenge back to you guys is, you know, what is it in your industries that can make you stand out and makes you unique compared to your competitors? I really admired also how she's been able to take something cultural um, and really put that on a platform that is welcome to all and she spends you know, her time educating a whole new audience. And it could be something that you have in your society or your community, whether it's kind of like a food or accessories or a service that is collective to that community. And how can you get that on a wider reach for others? I also loved the fact that she talked about creating golden opportunities. So obviously she had her idea, but then, you know, how did she go on to sell it? And she created those golden opportunities with Force India for Formula One, EastEnders, Harrods. Um, she talked about how she was able to get into Topshop. I thought, you know, that was really kind of interesting. And in order for people to understand about henna, she had to educate them on what she could then do with it. Um, so again, not just sort of sitting by the phone or by the laptop, but going out and being being proactive and also how her retail experience and her admin experience all plays a part in what she's doing today. I think it really speaks volumes about her collaboration list and she knew what she could deliver and her not being shy to approach those um, inspirational people like the Queen. And I love how she talked about kind of not listening to the naysayers and keeping good people around her definitely the consistency is key part with her and you know she obviously took her passion from the age of 16 she had the vision that she wanted to be in Selfridges and by 27 she was able to achieve that I think I want to set you guys a little bit of homework or maybe just like a task you can work on this week maybe sit down and think about what you want to achieve whether it's bold wacky in the next 10 years but the main thing is I love the fact that she had a passion from 16 and fast forward now she's obviously achieving it um next week's guest started his business a lot later in life and is also a very very interesting story so hopefully you'll stay tuned for that if you do enjoy today's episode please leave a five star rating on apple Podcasts share it with your friends and your family and I'll see you guys next Sunday.